0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. A podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I really hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And yeah, we made it 52. Hey, this is the one year mark for the podcast. It was a year ago this week. That we launched with episode one andy stanley and uh, man i'm thrilled to bring it around to our anniversary guest this year and uh, he's a good friend of andy actually his name is craig grischel and i'm sure craig like andy needs very little introduction to most of you who are listening i am so so excited to have craig on the podcast and i thought you know there's a number of different directions we could go but craig shares with you and shares with me his personal disciplines over the last 20 years, like how has he stayed fresh? How has he stayed alive? How has he stayed vibrant, leading one of the fastest growing and largest churches in the world and certainly in America? And so Craig gets really honest and sort of peels back the veil and says, hey, here's what I'm doing to make sure that I keep my personal life out of the ditch, how I stay fresh in my relationship with God, and how I keep growing as a leader. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. And we'll get started with that in, in just a few minutes. Actually, I want to let you know, about how we're celebrating the one-year anniversary of the podcast. If you're just an occasional listener, you haven't subscribed yet, you might want to hit the subscribe button. It's free because we've got bonus episodes this month. That's right. I've got three coming up. In fact, two days from now on the Thursday, usually this pod, well, always this podcast releases on a Tuesday. This Thursday, two days from now, we're going to be doing a one-year best of episode where we take 52 episodes and shrink it down to an hour. And I just pull some of the most Powerful moments of the first year and put them together into like an hour. So I think you you're probably really going to enjoy that. And uh, they're at least some of my favorite moments from the podcast. And so you'll get that bonus episode. Also, the following Thursday and Thursday after that, I'm going to be doing some something brand new. It's called Ask Carrie. It's another bonus episode. I get a lot of questions almost on a daily basis from you, and I love to answer them. And I just thought, you know, why don't we just throw that together? into an episode. So if you're on Twitter, use the hashtag AskCarrie, that's C-A-R-E-Y, AskCarrie, and I'll collect those questions. And also, if you want, you can go over to my blog, kerrynewhoff.com, and you'll see on the right-hand side a little got a question icon. Click on that and you can actually leave me a voice message. And I will be playing some of those back on the air. So if you got a blog and you want to share you know, your blog with people, you can do that. And I'll be playing some of those back in the bonus episodes as well. And the easiest way to make sure that you don't miss those is to subscribe. Also, we got some special guests this month. Ravi Zacharias is on uh, next week. Judd Wilhite, the week after so it's going to be a powerful month and uh, the best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe and you can do it for free i also want to say thank you to all the listeners for doing an incredible uh, like you you have made this year so much fun. All of your feedback, your ratings, your reviews, your encouragement, your emails, the personal conversations we've had when, when I've been speaking somewhere. Man, you guys rock. I, I just think I've got the best community in the world. You guys are incredible. And the goal is, of all of this is just to help you lead like never before. So we want to get better at it in year two. And I just want to thank you for making it so rewarding. One of the ways I love to help you lead is by writing. And I've got a couple of books that I've released already. And I'm really excited to let you know that my brand new book, Lasting Impact, Seven Powerful Conversations That Can Help Your Church Grow, is available right now. Actually, you can pre-order it. it releases in October, but you can pre-order it today. And once launch week is over, you will not be able to get the bonuses I'm going to tell you about right now. So if you order now, you will get Um, Not only the book that you order, but you'll get the e-version and it runs on any platform, iBooks or whatever you've got on your Kindle, on, on your Kobo, whatever it will run on that. We've also got a free audiobook for you. Some of you are huge audiobook fans, so uh, I am reading that book right now. It'll be available in October once it's released, and you'll get it for free if you order now. And then finally, I'm doing an exclusive webinar for people who pre-order the book. Now, the book is all about the conversations you have to have to, to help your church grow. So in the book, I write about why people aren't attending church As often and what you can do about it. I I write about personal health and how you can keep yourself from burnout. I write about keeping volunteers aligned and alive. Uh, I write about why young adults are are walking away from the church and what to do about it. I write about change and, and other subjects that will really help your church grow. So that's sort of the substance. And there's some discussion questions. But one of the things we all struggle with is, okay, that's great. But how do I actually have the conversation with my team? That's what that webinar is about and that's what I'll be sharing with you. So, if you order now at lastingimpactbook.com, you get the ebook, you also get the audiobook and you get exclusive access to that free webinar. So, just go to lastingimpactbook.com, you can order copies for you and your team and uh, thanks so much, man. What a, what a lot to celebrate. Also, my guest Craig Rochelle has a brand new book coming out next month and his book is called, are you ready for this? I love the subject, Hashtag Struggles, Following Jesus in a Selfie-Centered World. So while you're at it, you'll want to order Craig's book as well. And uh, I'm just so excited. We're going to jump right into that conversation now with Craig Rochelle all about how over these last few decades, he has led himself while leading one of the fastest growing and one of the most influential churches on the planet. Well, like a lot of you, I am really excited to have Craig Rochelle on the podcast today. Craig, welcome. Hey, thank
1: you, Kerry. I'm honored to be on with you.
0: Well, I know a lot of leaders, I would in fact suspect most, are very well aware of who you are. You've had a tremendous influence on the church as a whole and on many of our lives personally through your writing and your speaking. Um, But give us a thumbnail version of the journey that God has had you on over the last 20 or some odd years at Life Church and uh, with what he's done in your ministry and your life.
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. And I, I will say before I kind of get into that is um, I really enjoy what you do. I I saw a tweet with the link to one of your articles on your blog, and I read it and thought it was so good. I started kind of pursuing what you write, and and I also listened to uh, several of your podcasts. So I just wanted to say thank you. Your content is rich and. Really helpful to
0: me as well. So, oh, thank you, Craig. That that yeah. means an awful lot. And and yeah. of course, you and I have known each other for ten years now. I was telling you as we were getting ready, we're close we're really friends
1: close for ten years. Yeah, we it have
0: is. because I was a guy, and this is really cool. I should I should tell people this that um, you know, ten years ago, I sat at the back at a Willow conference in two thousand five, and you and a few others were talking about the birth of multisite. And I was that dweeb that walked down to the front and said, Hey, Craig, I really love what you do. Will you have lunch with me? And you said, yes. And -hmm. you and Amy sat down. We had lunch together. We spent about 45 minutes or an hour together. You just need to know that meant the world to me. And it's really cool that we're connecting a decade later.
1: thank you. Yeah, I enjoy receiving from you now. Well, on uh, yes, about the last 20 years, which is a long time. Uh, Yeah, yeah,
0: just in two minutes or so.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I've been... Married for 24, so I'll leave four years out. <laughs> and, uh, the uh, In that amount of time, we've had six kids. I just got my uh, my first one. Uh, oldest just got married, which is a really big deal.
0: Congratulations. Rochelle
1: House. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I'm still celebrating and crying anytime I get close to that subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started the church almost 20 years ago, and we actually had a really kind of slower start. Uh, thankfully, people are, are starting churches a lot of times stronger Today than we did twenty years ago, and the the early years were harder. Um, you know, five six years into it, we we started seeing some momentum, and we were one of the first churches to um, kind of go multi-site, and we did it out of necessity. Uh, and also, we didn't know anybody else was doing it. They actually were, but we thought we were the only ones, and so we didn't have anyone to learn from. Which, in some ways, Carrie was actually a blessing because. We weren't copying a model as much as we were creating something that was kind of in our hearts, but we didn't even have the language or, or um, you know, anything to follow. And so we've been doing, I guess, multi site since 2001, I think. Um, to date, we have 24 locations. We've got, it, it really, we, um, I don't know, probably five, six years ago, uh, if I go back even more, maybe 10 years ago, we were barely hanging on financially, we were about to fall apart, made some strategic changes, um, one of which we started giving away our resources, which I think opened up a door of blessing from God. Two is we just we kind of decided to bet the farm on multi-sites. site The only way I can say it is there's a difference between a, a multi-site church and a church that does multiple locations, there's 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 a difference. And so we decided to become, you know, a multi-site church in everything that we do. And we thought there might be kind of a tipping point um, in influence and in ability. And it, and it ended up being a greater, stronger um, tipping point than we expected. And so it's really become a little more explosive in the last years. And we've been able, uh, because of the model, to actually pay cash for all the buildings as we go, which we never thought of thought would be possible and um, so we're now 24 years into it or 24 campuses into it, almost 20 years and have um, several under construction right now and and for the first time we we have, I always talk in multi-site, there's five things that have to happen, one is you have to, you know, find and develop the leaders, two is you have to find and pay for the buildings, three is you have to develop the staff that comes along with it. Four is you have to fill the buildings up or you can't do it for long. And then five is you have to have the structure to support the new campuses. And you know th- those all sound relatively simple, but you have to do them all at the same pace. And to, to if any one of those legs aren't on the stool, then it doesn't go forward. And, and by the grace of God, we're now, really for the first time ever, we have all five of those things working together at the right pace. And it's really become you know, quite a ride that we're, we're blessed to take.
0: You piqued my interest. I know we're going to focus a lot on your, the personal side of the leadership journey for the last no. 20 years, but you said there's a difference between multi-site uh, and multi a church with multiple locations. Is right. that the essence of it, those five things?
1: No, not necessarily. Okay. Um, that, you know, the essence is going to be leadership and values and drive and culture and all, and all that. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to add a second site. You don't want to duplicate something that you don't love and— um, you know, I, I try to talk more people out of doing multi-site than I actually encourage people to do multi-site mm-hmm. because I think if it's done early or for the wrong reasons, it actually can hurt the ministry. And in my opinion, it's often done way too early and for the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, if you're struggling, you don't go at a second site. That's like saying we got a bad marriage, let's have a baby that maybe yeah. that'll fix it. You know. Yeah. And um, also, if you've got two or three services, I would say don't add another site. You know. I've, literally I would argue you need to, if you've got a permanent facility, you want five services, six, seven, eight, you know, before, mo- maximize what you've got before you go somewhere else and be a, be a good steward, honor God the stewardship before you go and start another site. So that's my bias, and I'm not always right, but I, I do, yeah you know, I do stand by that bias um, quite often. So, you know, the, you know, the, the essence of multi-sites is going to be always vision, you know, passion for the unchurched and creating the right culture and developing leaders. But in order to go from, you know, one to seven in a short period of time, you have to do those five. And it's easy to it's easy to I don't wanna be harsh, but you can get a girl your wife pregnant, you know, several times, but you then gotta raise the kids. You don't want to just go have Go, go start, hey, we're starting four new campuses this year and they all have 40 people. Well, right. you're going to be upside down financially, you're going to end up hurting you know, your ascending campus, the original one or whatever. And So you want to do them in the right way at the right time, birthed by the Spirit of God, born out of the right motives. And, and when you do that, it can be really, you um, can impact a lot of people. If you don't, you can end up complicating something that didn't need to be complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely true. I, I think that's good advice. So let me ask you this. Um, I mean, tempting question would be, so did you ever think it would get this big, but when did you realize that you were at that tipping point as a, as a leader?
1: Yeah. The, the, the question is no, I never, ever, 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 ever dreamed it would yeah. be this big. My My secret goal when I started was to have 2000 people. And it that seems so big. I didn't tell anybody cause I didn't want them to laugh. So, um, You know, I I actually think we crossed the tipping point before we realized we crossed the tipping point. And so, you know, I'm not big into making goals if I want to see this many people or this much whatever, because all we can do is we can input, but God is responsible for the outcome. And so what we want to do is try to say, we want to try to do what's right and trust God with the results. Uh, we've never had a we're gonna start you know five campuses in this year type of goal. I don't like that. Right. What I want to do is I want to start the right locations when we have the right people, the right resources. And so the, our our goal is always going to be try to do what is the right thing at the right time and then see what happens beyond that. and And to answer your question uh, about the tipping point, uh, we thought it would be there. We just didn't realize once, and, and by tipping point, I mean, that we've got the systems that we can reproduce quickly, that we can pay for it, that we are building the right leaders. And and when that did happen, I thought, you know, maybe we could go from nine campuses to 14.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Instead, we went from nine to 24. And now 50 doesn't look, it doesn't look difficult. And uh, originally, I would have thought 50 was, you know, oh, my gosh, Im- impossible. But it it's all seems very doable now.
0: Earlier in 2015, I mean, I follow you, you personally and and Life Church on Instagram, and it seemed like you were opening a campus every weekend there for a run. Like it was we did. Crazy. I mean,
1: It was just yeah, it was just kind of that's the way they fell, and then then we're in a se- in, now we're in a season of doing a lot of work behind the scenes nobody knows about. Right. And so you know we've we're I've got f- f- uh, three pieces of land we've that are under contract that we're trying to close on. I've got two buildings going up and you know, we don't talk about that stuff while it's happening. So it's kind of a planting season and then a harvesting season. And that was the harvest. And now we're now we're planting again.
0: Right, right. So just so people get a scale, because we're going to dive into the personal journey of leadership, which is what I'm so excited to talk to you about today. But, uh, you know, you're leading a lot. So how many people, 24 locations, how many people would be present at a typical weekend service?
1: You know, um, at the time we're recording this, we're doing kind of a big outreach series. And but you know the last three weekends we've had 90,000 and above at physical locations. Average for the year wow. is probably probably going to be mid 70s. And again, this is this is kind of like the it's a blow the kind of roof off type of promotion. And what we try to do, you know we're recording this. it's
0: yeah, it's the end July, of July in July
1: mm-hmm. and into August. Is we tried to take what was normally a dead month, July, and say, just because everyone surrenders to it, we, we believe it you can actually grow there and so to me I, it's like a balloon a lot. the next time you try to blow that same balloon up, it's not as difficult. and so hmm. I know that we have more of a crowd. we've got you know literally twenty thousand people that weren't there in June, and they're not necessarily going to be there in August, but we 're expanding the crowd. And then in August we go actually real hard hitting in discipleship type teaching, followed up by a massive small group push. So what we're trying to do is expand the potential people that we're influencing, and then convert the crowd and try to help them think more like a church. And and it's, it's a cycle that we've done year over year. And so it's kind of the rhythms of let's try to attract attendance, and then let's try to do something with them. And I don't I don't actually try to do both at the same time, hmm. believe, believe it or not, because. There's certain things that bring the people, and, and a lot of people criticize that like crazy. I make no excuse for it at all. Yeah. I would rather reach more people and minister to more people every time. I think Jesus did that, and, and I don't, you know, I, people can criticize all they want. I really don't care. Um, and so we're trying to draw a crowd, and then we're trying to convert them deeper into into um, a commitment to the church. And so literally for four weeks, it's it's we're trying to draw a crowd, and mm-hmm. then. And then for four weeks, we're massively trying to move. I'm I'm talking on addictions and, you know, really heavy stuff because they're in their rhythm of coming. And then we go into a massive small group push where we're going to try to start, you know, about 1100 kind of is the goal of small groups. If we do the things right to build the leaders and connect them as they go back into the school year. And so, you know, it's a prayerful strategy that we've worked out over the years, and kind of run the same game plan year over year with different players and pieces, and and it seems to work pretty well for us.
0: And just to connect the dots for leaders, the big series is at the movies, right? That's the one you're in right now. As we're recording this, is that the big draw? Cor-
1: correct. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's and and a lot of churches have tried to, to copy it or do or you know do their own version of it and. It's you know you have to understand it's not you don't play a movie and people come that's not what <laughs> what drives it it's uh, it's the culture of evangelism where gotcha. they they believe if I get people here that don't normally go to church it's, it's the it's the months of vision casting that goes into it that this is the time we, we, you know we're seeing you know well over a thousand people come to Christ every single week week over week and it's it's been created there've been I mean we put out hundreds of thousands of door hangers with free popcorn all this. Really, kind of cheesy stuff, and you know, we, we we drive the value, and we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people, no one's reaching. We have to do things no one's doing, and so that just we drive that value in. value. You know, we want to create emotion. I don't want to just say we stand for evangelism. We do. Yeah. I want to do. I want to do something that creates a, a feeling and a sense. And so this has been culturally. We built it for years. It doesn't have to be movies. It could be anything. It's, sure. You know, it's the. It's the culture of we want to see people who don't know Christ come to Christ, and that's that's what drives it.
0: And I think that's a good point. You know, me just deciding, oh, I'm going to do At the Movies next month, and I'll talk about four movies, is not necessarily going to draw 10,000 unchurched it, people. Well, it,
1: there's a lot of people who have tried it with not great results, and yeah. I think that's the reason why. It's, you, don't, you don't just copy what someone does. You have to understand the why behind the what right. or the what generally doesn't produce the same results.
0: Well, and you've got a whole system behind that too. I mean, you do a ton of production. You do a whole lot of invest and invite. You're out in the community. It's a lot more than it's, just...
1: We've done it for 14 years too. And so yeah. the, the church, it's like Easter for the church. They know right. what's coming. And it, you don't you don't build that in three years. It takes time.
0: Wow. So let's switch to the, the personal side of the journey. I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years and I can hear it in your voice already 10 minutes into the interview, 15 minutes into the interview. You're pretty passionate. What keeps your passion white hot? How do you stay in this for 20 years?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. I it's uh, a few things. One would be, I think I have the advantage of being a guy that grew up going to church but didn't know Christ. Yeah. And and so I, I was a churchgoer, but I was not a disciple of Jesus. And so I have a massive passion. Passion to present the gospel within the church. So you know, evangelism is the driving force of you know value in my life, and um, I respect people who are great disciples I respect people who have a heart for worship or prayer, and, and I, I value those things. But above all else, put me in, in a room full of lost people, and I've I come to life. And so, uh, for me, quite honestly, it's staying in connection and relationships with people that are not followers of Jesus. Going to the gym is kind of like my heroine, honestly, is I go in and, you know, I go to the same place and just develop relationships, meet people, meet people, meet people. And I'm kind of, you know, in almost a sense, like the pastor to the gym where I've got Mm -hmm. lots of people that will talk to me about their problems that have never come to church. And I see that as much as ministry time as I do workout time.
0: Yeah. And
1: that really keeps me going. If I if I didn't have that, I would very quickly become, uh, I'd be thinking more about church problems, church people, and I'd, I'd lose that passion for the lost. And that that keeps me fresh. And so, you know, that's my deal. I'd say to everyone, you, you just got to find whatever that thing is that breaks your heart and moves you to action and makes you righteously angry and righteously excited and then whatever that is, just stay close to that long enough to. And if, if if you lose if you lose that, find something else that just really creates a divine hunger and, and passion inside of your heart, and find that and fuel it.
0: Yeah, the gym was something I was going to talk to you about because it's pretty clear, you know, you work out, you spend a lot of time getting and staying physically fit. Is that as much of a mission field for you as it is like it's sort of a dual purpose because I mean, you're not just a guy who spends 15 minutes on the treadmill and goes box ticked, you know. Mm-hmm. You take it pretty seriously. Is that a big part of staying healthy personally for you?
1: It's it's both for me. It's both it's both a mission field and it's like I've got a little place to work on at home and It's easier to do it there because when I go to the gym, it's it's as much talking as anything. But I choose to keep going to the gym, probably 80% of the time, because of the mission field, and that's I need that. Um, The other side is it's probably three years ago or so that I just recognized to continue. You know, if I'm if I'm going to do this, I want to you know, I want to bring and I'm getting older, I want to bring my, my best of everything to it. And so I want to be in tip top physical shape. Whatever that is, you know, if I'm forty five, I'm fifty-five, whatever that to serve God. And so it was more of a spiritual decision than a physical decision. The biggest change for me was diet. I've always mm-hmm. worked out. Um, but I didn't see much results. but I changed my diet, <laughs> I actually started seeing results and I realized that's pretty important. And I no one I didn't realize it. And so to me, it's a uh, God, I want to bring my everything I have to serve you in my mind and my heart, my spirit and my body. And so I tried to really take that seriously and, and I feel better and I sleep better and, and it seems to make a difference.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned three years ago because, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm a guy who sort of works out. I cycle and all that. But like I've noticed a massive physical change in sort of just the way you look over the last three years and that's been the diet and like taking exercise to another level. I have a 19 year old who works out and I mean, I can never cross him because I would, uh, you know, he could take me with his little finger,
1: I think. Yeah. And I think part of it is too, I, I read somewhere something about ba- basically the the best of the best every year they're finding something new to get good at or mm-hmm. some new interest and whatever that is for people, it doesn't have to be working out or diet, but you know, every year trying to tackle something that says that triggers I'm improving. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm getting closer to God, I'm caring more about people, I'm getting in better shape, I'm my mind is sharper, whatever that is. And that was one of those, that was that year commitment for me. And then I try to add something to it every year, just some little thing that says that triggers me to say, I'm not a complacent person, I'm improving, stretching, growing, whatever.
0: I grew up in a church context where a lot of pastors were out of shape, and I was out of shape for a lot of years in ministry. And I'm more in shape, like not at a high level, but, um, you know, I've certainly more activity in my life. I've noticed a big difference both mentally and physically in how I feel. When you upped your game three years ago, did that make a difference in how you felt and the energy you were able to bring to life and to ministry?
1: It did. You know, the, one of the biggest things is I, I slept better. I had a hard time sleeping, mm-hmm. and then kind of when I pushed myself and started eating better, and you know I got off of pop and you know caffeine, sodas, whatever you call it, and all that kind of stuff. And dr- I only drink water now. And so end of the day, there's nothing kind of fighting to keep my body awake, and I sleep so much better, and I have so much more energy, um, and I you know I feel better about myself. And so I think all those things work together. And and what's interesting, Carrie yeah is like our staff, I've never stood up and said, hey, let's, let's all get in shape, let's all take this seriously. I never do that, but our staff, it, you know, as it goes with the leader, it often goes with those around. Yeah. And so just real quietly, other people are saying, let's get in shape. Bobby Grunewald, he's one of our key leaders, and yeah. um, he created the, the, the YouVersion Bible app. He was not in great shape. The guy's a monster now. And wow. it's, it's, I mean, he truly is a monster. Uh, and it's just organizationally you see people watching what they eat, exercising, and, and culturally it's exciting because they all, a lot of them feel like, hey, we're getting better, we're getting in shape, we're doing something good. And that, that creates a positive, self-improving culture, which I think honors God and, um, and helps us all improve.
0: Yeah, you know, and and with Bobby too. Every single day, U version is my go-to app. I can't remember Good. the last time I opened a physical Bible. So on behalf of everybody, thank you, thank yeah. you for that gift, Craig. Thank you, Bobby. Well, thank you to the whole team. We it, love
1: it. I'm glad you use it. Thank oh, you. Oh,
0: it's 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 huge. So. Continuing the theme of personal growth, how do you keep growing as a leader? I mean, I want to ask this question both in terms of your skill set, but also in terms of your personal development. I mean, when you're leading a church of 200, it's easier to find other leaders who are like, oh yeah, well, when we reached a thousand, this is what we did. But I mean, when you have 90,000 people at church, there's like two or three people you can call up and go, so how are you guys doing this? How How do you figure that stuff out when you only have a couple of peers? Yeah, it's, not, it's
1: You know, I, I thought that same thing, and what I'm finding now is that you, you can really learn from anybody. Everybody's mm-hmm. got a story, and so one of the things I've in the last I'd say 18 months or so I'm seeking out is the 28, 30, 32 year old who's doing kind of what I did. I was influenced by like Bill Heibels was massive yeah. to me, and so I came and I I looked at what he was doing. He was probably early 40s, and I was 28. And I took what he was doing and I adapted it to my generation. And there are people who are doing that. Basically, they're looking at you know an Andy Stanley or maybe they're you know a Perry Noble or Steven. Ferg. Steven's young, but maybe me or whoever. And then they're adapting it to their their generation. And so I'm trying to learn from those guys and figure out what are they doing, how are they improving upon what we did, and what are they doing that we didn't see or think of. And so. They don't have to be bigger to learn from, and that's really, really important. You can learn from anybody, and I would rather be found asking more questions in a room full of pastors than answering more questions, and I have to be intentional about that. And so I can learn from pastors of all different um, stages. You, I can learn from you uh, about podcasting all day long, about technology, about, you know, I read your, I've read several of your blog posts I've really Triggered me to think differently, so I learned from you. Um, and then I learned from business leaders all the time. You know, uh, I met with the CEO of Walmart, and <laughs> you know, he's opening up more stores in a, you know, in a four hour period around the clock than I'm opening campuses all year long. So, that what I like to do is I like to get around people that, that the phrase I use is that they give me the gift of disorientation. Hmm. I want the gift of disorientation. I don't want to just see someone who's one step ahead of me. I want to see someone who's 5 or 10 or 20 or 100 steps ahead of me because and then I want to pay real attention to the places where I push back and say well that doesn't apply to me. Well that's not true here. Well I disagree with that. It's that those places I generally have the most to learn because I haven't fully understood their context. Wherever I push back the most is where I try to say, okay, what do I not understand here? Um, In fact, there may be someone listening today that gets real mad at something I say or says, that wouldn't work where we live in our small town or whatever. It's some leadership principle. And I would say, actually, you you may be right, but there's a bigger chance that you don't understand the full context yet. And that may be where you're disoriented. And let's try to to figure out why. And um, I love it when someone... Gives me the gift of disorientation. Like I don't, I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around that. I don't want to understand it, so I got to pick it apart and study it, and and I got to learn fifteen steps up to it. How would you get there? And why? I I don't want to know just what are you doing, but why? Why do you think this way? I can't copy what you do, but I can learn how you think, and so that's what I like to get into.
0: Hmm. And did that come naturally for you, or is this something you've had to develop over the last twenty years?
1: I think I was blessed when we started with with good mentors, and so I've always had access to people, and I feel like. I feel sometimes people say, well, I can't get access to, you know, whoever. Well, you yeah. read their books, listen to their podcasts. Information's everywhere now. There's no excuse. Yeah, No excuse whatsoever.
0: Totally. Yeah. And, and that, that's one of the goals of this, right? This is like a mentoring thing that you can do for a lot of people. And, and I love the idea of cross-disciplinary learning, too, that, you know, you go and talk to, you're not going to be opening department stores anytime soon, but there are, no. there are principles you can learn from, which is great.
1: Absolutely. and yeah business leaders we should learn from all the time because they you know they're doing the principles of leadership cross fields and and you know we are we're in we Jesus was a leader He, he yeah. led people to know God personally and you know through 12 people he changed the world and so I want to learn from anybody who can help me be a better
0: better spiritual leader. in terms of your personal walk with Christ just your devotional life that's got to be really really top-notch, I'm sure, to be able to lead what you're leading. How has that changed? What are you doing currently? And how is that different than your message?
1: Well, that's a great question. How how has it changed? Because in the early years, it it really suffered. Mm -hmm. And um, I I heard Bill Hybel say a quote one time. He said, the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. it, it, It just hit me like a ton of bricks because in the early years of ministry, I allowed kind of my sermon time to be my devotion time. And I, and that's not, for me, that's not adequate. And I thought it was. And so I literally kind of started letting ministry replace my first love and ministry became my first love. And so that was really not a good time spiritually. And then Carrie, I always felt guilty because like, you know, I know people who pray now or first thing every morning and, you know, man, I'm praying five minutes straight and I feel like my mind's drifting and wandering. So I always felt like a big spiritual failure. So what's funny is the YouVersion Bible app is that has actually been the best thing for my personal time in God's Word. So the tool our church created to help other people is the tool that really helps me <laughs> uh, a lot. I have made a discipline to read through the Bible. I used to say cover to cover. Now I say front to back.
0: Right. Um,
1: and I've done that for I don't know how many years straight. And what that does for me is a little bit a day just isn't enough. I, and I like the, I like to force myself into places I wouldn't read otherwise. And every year I see something different. Every year I try to change the translation. So I'm reading the same words from, from a different different translation. Um, so that, that has brought my time in God's Word to life. Mm. Prayer time, what I learned is that rather than feeling guilty for not praying for an hour a day, what I want to do is I want to be a person of prayer and I'm praying all day throughout the day. And so prayer is more of a conversation and ongoing awareness of the presence of God. And that's been life-changing for me. So I can honestly say the last five years, and and I have a goal when we get new staff members, I tell them the five things I want for them. One of them is that you know, 5 years into the organization i want you more in love with jesus than than when you got here today mm-hmm. because as you and i both know in the church world it's often the opposite because we it's just assumed we're growing spiritually and we're not a lot of times right. And so i can say with integrity that the last 5 years have been clo- I've been closer to jesus and really happy and thankful and rejoice in that and, and also just the fact that it is possible you know a lot yeah. of people don't think it is and, and you know, you can be friends with church members. Yes, you can. You can be close to Jesus. Yes, you can. You can be happy. Yes, you can. Your kids can still love the church after they're raising it. Yes, it's possible. It's, it's mm-hmm. It should be that way. And yes, how it, how it dif- differs from message prep. And um, it is just devotion time is really for me to connect with God. Message prep is for, for me to try to connect other people to God. So it's a totally different gear. That that part's hard, laborious, Grueling. It, you know, women get mad when I say this because, and I, they should. But I feel like it, writing a sermon is like giving birth every week. And <laughs> I know that's not fair because I've never given birth, but it really feels like that to me. It's like, oh my gosh, this is hard every single week. And so, yeah, it's just you know we could talk for hours about that. It's
0: work. It's work. Well, Louis Giglio, you can get mad at you can blame him because he's called it. Uh, you know the whole birth process. He uses that as a metaphor. So, yeah. uh, so
1: get mad at him. I stole that idea from. Yeah,
0: you. that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm. Thank you for being honest about the struggle with prayer life. I don't know about Amy, but like my wife Tony, she'll pray for like two hours, and I'm like what are you even talking about? Like, I don't know because I'll get distracted after five minutes, but like you, you know, when I'm out cycling, I, I will often, that's just a conversation I slip into and out of with God when I'm driving, when, you know, I'm working through the day. So it's more, you know, you have a a burst of prayer, maybe that where you try to stay focused and then it's more like a conversation.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's giving yourself permission to connect with God in non-traditional ways. You Mm -hmm. know, most of the time in church is Bible study and prayer those are really important. Well, you can also connect with God worship. You can, you can, there's some people just, you walk outside and look at nature and say, God is screaming through nature, his glory. And you can sit outside and just contemplate the goodness of God. Uh, I literally feel close to God working sometimes that I feel like I'm bringing him pleasure by using the gifts he gave me. And so I, 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 you know, look at, I mean, I, doing leadership to me feels like a spiritual thing. It feels very spiritual. It's in my DNA. And so I feel like this is a way I'm worshiping God and I feel close to Him doing it. So I think if you give yourself permission to be close to God in non-traditional ways, yeah. it's a freeing thing.
0: Is that kind of how you see your work with Catalyst and other organizations and, and your writing as, as an expression of you know, well, feeling close to God, because I feel that way about this. Like, I love this. This is in my own time, but like,
1: mm.
0: to me, this is just joy to be yeah, able what, to have conversations What was like
1: the this. quote Eric Little, or the, uh, the runner said? He, he said oh, I know
0: who you mean, said, and I don't know the last name either, yeah, so yeah. He
1: said um, something about running... Uh, oh yeah. yeah,
0: when I when I run, I feel the pleasure of God or yes, something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. There's yeah. It, oh, is it Robert Eric Lytel, pleasure? Chariots of Fire? That's it, Lytel. Yeah,
1: great sure. missionary. Yeah, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And like when I when I work with other spiritual leaders and we all get better, I feel the pleasure of God. Yeah. I, I really yeah. do. And um,
0: I totally know, can relate to that.
1: That that to me is as spiritual as praying with somebody. And mm-hmm. um, and I think what it, you know everybody's going to have some things like that and giving it permission to say that's spiritual too, because God put this in me. I think it's a great, a great freeing thing and a way to connect with God and what other ways you would think, well, that's a secular thing, or that's a non-Christian, he made you, he gave you the gifts.
0: Or that's just work. Yeah, I totally get that. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray like with your eyes closed and connecting, but it's more than that. So you've got a lot of demands on your time. You've also got a large family. Uh, by today's standards, a huge family. Um, how do you balance or how it's still current for you because you've got kids at home and an exploding ministry. So walk us through the balance of ministry and family and maybe even a typical week and what that looks like for you now. Sure.
1: When um, yeah, you know, I served for five years at another church before here and I have nothing but admiration and respect for my pastor but we worked so hard there, the church was hard on families. Yeah. And so what I, and we still work hard at Life Church, but when we started the church, a mentor told me, design, as much as possible, design the church around your family values, not the other way around.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what I just decided is I don't want to be away from my kids at night. I want to be home. I don't want to work many evenings. You know, I want to go to get day off. And so we've really worked hard to do that. So for me... I'm going to set some standards ahead of time to help me make decisions all year long. For example, you know, you asked me, could I come to the conference in Canada Uh, Mm -hmm. one time? And I told you no on the spot, not because I don't believe what you're doing, but because I, uh, at the time I was doing six events a year. Now I do no more than 12. I do 12 nights a year away from family and that's it, not 13 to 12. So I'm very selective and choose what those are. So I'm setting those standards ahead of time.
0: And those book Um, up pretty quickly, I imagine.
1: they, They do. And. You know, And I know the type of events where I, I feel like I can make the highest impact. Yeah. And and so same is true with evenings, which is I want to be tonight, I'm going to be at home with my family. We we take very few work events, board meetings during the day. Um, we just, you know, typically I work Saturday nights and rarely any, any other nights. And that's just kind of the way it is. If you want me, it's, it's during the day. I believe in, in creating artificial deadlines. I think they're really important. For example, if you... If you're taking Thursday and Friday off to go to the beach or whatever, you get your work done Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday because you had to. Yeah. So if I have an open-ended day, meaning I'm not going to leave until I'm done, it's going to take me longer to get done. Yes. But today, I will leave at 3.45 as I did yesterday because I'm going to the gym. And so because I've got that artificial deadline, it makes me do three things. One is it makes me not do things I shouldn't do. It helps me to delegate the things that other people could do and it helps me to make faster decisions because I got the deadline coming. So I would argue I'm more efficient and effective because I have an artificial deadline than if I didn't have one at all. And so by saying I'm going to be home tonight, I'm going to, be go, I'm going to go to the gym, then I'm going to be home for dinner time, I'm better all day long, I, th- I think is my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so home with family, you know, making them a priority, I just, you know, I've got six kids, we home educate them. Yeah. And it's, it's choosing to be healthy. You have to choose it, or the church will take everything. If I'm healthy at home, the church will be better. If I'm not healthy at home, nobody's better. Yeah. And so we have to we have to make those choices.
0: And do you take like a one day off every week, or two days off every week, or Absolutely, how does that work?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I take one day off, and you know a lot of pastors only get one day off. And the thing I try to tell them: think about it. If society norm is two days off and you only get one, that's about 52 fewer days off than most everybody you're ministering to, okay? Wow. So that's about seven weeks more. If you think, if you add it all up, that's about seven weeks more that the average person gets off than you do. Seven weeks, almost two months. So wow. that means if that's your life, I recommend that you don't take two weeks of vacation, but you take three or four or five or six, okay? So I, I literally probably have somewhere in the neighborhood, I don't track it, but probably about six weeks off during the year where I'm taking more time off. And I understand not everybody can do that. Yeah. But you know, the other forty some odd weeks, it's I'm probably putting more into the weeks than what most people do as well. And so you have to find those rhythms. And then the more time off you can take at one at one chunk, the more valuable it is because mm-hmm. in what we do and a lot of your listeners will understand this, we we use our our, RPM, our internal RPMs are higher, and it takes us two or three or four days to unwind. what well, oh, you're on yeah. a five-day five trip, the day you unwind, you're packing to come home. So <laughs> if you've got you know two weeks back to back, two weeks are not twice as good as one week. Two weeks are five times as good. And so whatever extended time you can take every year, you'll be fresher. And a lot of people think, well, I can't afford to be away from my ministry or whatever. Well. You're not empowering people. You can. You're not. You're not that important. Is what my counselor told me. You're not that important. You're not that good. Let someone else handle it, and everyone will be better off if you're fresh.
0: You mentioned counseling. Has counseling been a big part of keeping you healthy over the years?
1: I did two. I did two rounds of counseling. Um, both. Both for being a workaholic, and one was the second one. Was I was focusing on my workaholic tendencies, and I was focusing on my fear of lack. I was basically trying to develop. My generosity, and what was af- I was afraid if I give more, then there won't be enough. And so I was trying to develop not a prosperity theology, but an abundance theology that my God is an abundant God. And so I was trying to be, I was trying to learn to give more without fear, and I was trying to learn to not feel like my presence is always necessary. And that's a big. We could talk a lot about that in multi-site that everyone thinks it's all about your ego being on the screen. It actually. You know, you have to be strategically absent and empower people far more. It's actually less, it's less about you and more about empowering other people to really make multi-site work. But that's a that's whole other test. Yeah.
0: So okay. So you take the, what's your day off? Is that a like a Friday uh, or for
1: me? For me, it's Friday. Someone told me like Monday. A lot of guys take Monday off. They said, "Don't waste your bad recovery day <laughs> on your family." Wait until you feel good. And so that's why Mondays I feel horrible. And so I'm not going to waste that on my family. But Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. Just whatever. stumble into the office and get done what you can get done, right? Yeah,
1: you know, but some people aren't like that. Just whatever works best for your rhythms. Mm.
0: How many Sundays are you preaching typically? How many weekends a year these I, days? I
1: probably do about 40 weekends of content. But that wow. doesn't necessarily mean I'm on that weekend. For example, the last weekend I was on was the third weekend of May. And I'll, and I'll be on again the first weekend or second weekend of August. But I will have produced the content for those, all but maybe two of them. Meaning right. I, I taught it in the studio on a Thursday and we show it or whatever. So uh, it's, a, it's a different way of measuring. I, I'll produce about 40 weekends of content, but then I won't necessarily be there that weekend. And here's something I'll tell you that we're really excited about is um, uh, in September this year, I'm going to have about 83 different speakers speak on one given weekend. It's so the second time we've done this we call wow. it developmental weekend and um, you know I'm looking at my staff. Do I have, you know? can this guy or this girl, are they good enough to speak to 75,000 people? Probably not. Are they good enough to speak to a service of 400 people? Absolutely they are. Huh. And so what we're going to do is we've got about 135, 140 services at all of our churches. So everybody's going to get, you know, like two, um, one or two services. A campus pastor may get one, and then everybody else gets two. And so we slotted 83 slots to have 83 different people speak on a given weekend. And uh, we just love that. It's the second time we've done a developmental weekend to say to the church, we're developing communicators. And to say to anyone on the team, you may not be in a great speaking role, but if we see you have a gift, then you can have an outlet for it, and we're going to help develop you.
0: So at a typical campus, if they have three or four services, you might have three or four different speakers on that day. Right? Correct. Yes. Wow, that's a great idea. Yeah, thank you. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, because we we were actually talking about that even in our small context uh, yesterday or this morning. It's like our band is so good now we don't really have the opportunity to develop musicians and we've got to start creating venues to bring people up. You know, my son's 23, he still plays in the church band, but he started when he was 13 and, you know, he definitely was not where he is now when he was 13. And, uh, you know, you need runways for communicators, for musicians. That's a, that's a really cool uh, thought.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, how, how do they become good enough if you don't give them reps? Right. And so this is a way to give a lot of people reps.
0: Moral failure seems to be something that we just never escape in the church, and it happens often to, you know, influential business leaders. We've seen it even recently this year in in the church once again. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to guard your family, your personal life, and your church against moral failure, Craig?
1: Yeah, you know, I think making— You know, everything down to making your marriage relationship really important, not being a child-centered parent where everything revolves around the kids, but, you know, really guarding that is really big. And then to me, putting safeguards in every place that you're potentially vulnerable is really, really wise. What I don't want to do is I don't want to, you know, resist temptation in the future when I can eliminate that potential temptation today. And you know, I want to say it again because I think it's pretty important. Yeah, I want please to, say it again. I don't want to resist temptation in the future when I can eliminate that temptation today. My job is not to manage temptation when I can eliminate it. And so right. I can't eliminate all temptation, but I can say and live, that I'm not going to be alone with a woman and, right. you know, I can do that. I can make sure all of my devices from iPad, computer Cell phone is locked down, so I have no access to look at something I wouldn't want to look at. Right. I can say, and I and I do I do all this too when I travel. Someone's always with me. I don't even stay in a room alone. Part of it's because I'm an extrovert and I don't I get lonely. You know, so <laughs> so Bobby goes with me, or my daughter goes with me, or you know someone goes with me, and so I'm never in a room alone. Uh, and so you know just I know where I'm vulnerable, and I put safeguards in place that way, and. You know, people say, "Man, are you that weak?" And you know, maybe I'd say, "I'm going to be that wise." Mm. Um, I'm going to decide ahead of time. "Great, are but, you
0: that weak?" No, I'm trying to be that wise. That's right. that's a good way to think about it.
1: Yeah, it's just you know, there, everybody falls into moral failure. No one planned on it, mm. and so we have to we have to acknowledge that we have an enemy who's pretty sly. And um, whenever we think we're not, whenever we think it never happened to us, that's typically the first sign that it could happen to us, and so. I'm not going to assume I'm better than that. I'm going to assume that I need all the help I can get. I'm going to put all the help I can get in place.
0: Well, I mean, you've got it right down. We're doing this via video, but I mean, you've got this huge glass door on your office. And I mean, there's no way anything could happen inside that office without somebody on the outside seeing that. Why? And and I'm not asking you to comment on any specific case, but any theories on why moral failure takes down so many leaders?
1: Yeah, I I mean, here's what I... What I hate, and I have to watch out for this in myself because I think I'm vulnerable to it. And as leaders, especially spiritual leaders, man, we can become so narcissistic so fast. It's it's not even funny. And, you know, we have to we have to stay with a servant attitude. The moment we start becoming narcissistic, prideful, thinking we're above the rules, we're massively vulnerable. Mm. And I see that all the time. I think we do face. Pressures that are that that if we don't combat them, is churches can be hard on marriages because of the schedules we keep. Yeah, you know I think um, spouses can feel left out, uh, um, and then we get attention from people, and they think we're better than we really are. And so I think this, you know, it's a a classic. You know, we are ripe to be vulnerable for it. And so um, the, the biggest thing I've just been working with pastors lately is just. And I want to fight it in myself. Is I don't want to think I'm better, higher, more important, more special. I hate that. And when I see it in other pastors, probably because there's a little bit of that in me. Hmm. And so I really want to. I don't want any of that in me. And um,
0: so how do you do that? How do you fight that when you're thinking, you know, hey, that rule shouldn't apply to me, or how come I have to stand in line? What What, what are some yeah, well, guardrails you
1: put in? we around? have to create a culture where we're not treated as as special people. And there are times when, yes, we have to, as leaders, we have to do things and, and, you know, people are going to serve us, but we have to be willing to serve others. You know, it can't be all about us. And, um, you know, I may upgrade to first class because I want to sleep better, but I'm not there because I deserve it. Right. You know, I'm there because, because it's a tool to help me do ministry better when I get off the plane. You know? mm-hmm. So we have to really keep the why in it. It's not about me being more important or, or whatever. And um, I don't know, I just, I, we, need to, we need to allow people to correct us. If we're above correction, we're in big trouble. If we don't serve others, we're in big trouble. If, um, if we start thinking we're more important than others, you know, we've lost the true spirit of who Jesus called us to be. And we have to fight it. We have we, That doesn't happen naturally. People try to elevate us, and when they elevate us, then we can fall.
0: What are a couple things you and Amy have done over the years to really keep your relationship vibrant and alive? I always see you guys on Instagram, right? You're yep. off on this little venture or something, like taking time away. What have you done to keep uh, the marriage strong over 24 years?
1: We, we were like fanatic date night people and hmm. preached date night, date night, date night, date So... 14, 15 years into our marriage, we're getting busy and we're like, we have, a, we really do have a good marriage. And so we're like, we have a good marriage. We're kind of busy now. So let's not do our date nights as much. Oh, wow. And so suddenly we woke up, we're going to a small group and she'd cry about something that was on her heart. Like, I didn't know that. Or I'd talk about something that was burdening me and she's like, I didn't know that. And suddenly we realized we had surrendered. The discipline that helped contribute to what we wanted was a date night, and so we like, oh my gosh, we just we thought we didn't need it. That's like a person who's in shape and exercises and eats good, and they say, well, you don't have to eat good; you're in shape. Well, you're in shape because you exercise and eat good. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know,
1: so uh, so we picked that back up, and a date night again is really important. And then I just always tell people, man, at least once a year, three night getaway, you know. I don't care if you have to go to the Holiday and down the street and, you know, have your kids stay, you know, whatever. Just, you know, get away at least one time a year more if, if possible. That's been really big. And then for us, Carrie, this is kind of embarrassing, but one of the, I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that changed our marriage was Amy wanted to pray and, like you know, pray for hours and all this kind of stuff. And I just didn't, didn't want to do that the uh, the commitment to pray with her daily has changed everything. And wow. for us, it's a morning prayer before I leave for work. and it's it may be a minute, it may be five, but it's not more. And it's just a thanking God, praying together. And that spiritual connection as small as it is, if we're in a fight, you got to work it out because you can't pray and fight.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, you can't if,
1: if you're vulnerable to something, you got to talk it out work it out because this it's just too intimate and spiritual. And so for us, is a short prayer every day. And then the other thing that really is helpful is we work on our marriage during non-conflict times, meaning if, and this is a real simple tool, I was, during non-conflict times, we'll ask each other, and we've done this for years, what are three things I'm doing that are blessing you, and what are three things I could do to be a bigger blessing to you? So I'm thinking she likes the fact that I've, got a new bench press record or whatever you know and I, I asked her what What am I doing? just blessing you and she's like oh when you put when you gave the kids a bath that was so special that made me want to kiss you all over like oh I didn't know that Okay, I just learned it I'm a <laughs> I thought it was my bench press, kids. press record some kids butts. yeah. <laughs> and, and then the next question is what could I do better and the, the wording is really important it's not where do I where am I messing up but what can I do better? And then that creates an environment where we're serving each other and we're growing during non-conflict times. So we we've been do we call them marriage checkups and that's kind of cheesy, but we've done those for years. And, um, that, that helps us praying together, time away, you know, date nights, and then just talk, working on our marriage during non-conflict times.
0: Wow. Great advice. So a couple more questions before we wrap up today, Craig, what's been the hardest aspect of your personal journey over the last 20 years when you when you look back at it and you're kind of like hmm, well almost 25 if you include the pre-life church days but you know the one that you've just had to chip away the hardest at or the one that's like man I wish I thought I was going to solve this but I just think it's always going to be here
1: um there were there there was one particular season in the church that I thought I'd lost the church that I loved mm. it you know was spread out and I couldn't seem to it couldn't seem to impact the culture, and and create change the way that I once had, and I, I just I almost surrendered. I, I it was a short season where I I don't think I really seriously thought about quitting, but I did think about it. You know, like what would it be like to do something else?
0: And this was at Life Church.
1: This, uh, absolutely. This was yeah. basically between it was between years eleven and thirteen. We're in year twenty now, but somewhere in there's that season. I had tension with my key leaders and you know, my top four guys have been with me for 17 years. They're still with me. And we had tension and there was a lack of trust going both ways a little bit. And um, I just, I looked at it and it's probably what the guy who feel, you know, like my church won't grow. It's like kind of this hopeless feeling of yeah. I can't create change anymore. And so that was a really scary, scary time. Wow. And I had kind of a real special breakthrough moment um, that that helped me at that time. And then I think the other thing is there have been just seasons where I kind of felt like I don't know if I can survive the grind forever. Mm. you know like another week, 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 another week like do I I remember asking myself if one of my sons wanted to do this, not like they' called, they wanted to do this, would I be excited or scared? Wow. And I remember thinking I would actually be a little bit scared because it's so, it, the, it's so grueling. Hmm. And so kind of working through those times and choosing to see that this is actually a gift and it's, and I have the power of God to help me. I'm not alone. I'm around great people. And so so I was literally talking myself through those times and even I, I'd call it mild depression and, and talking, just literally talking it through and reminding myself of the truth, then I'm able to pull out of it and uh, and keep doing it with joy. But, uh,
0: wow. I appreciate you sharing that. When you, when you talk about the critical breakthrough that happened in that mm-hmm. tough season, is that something that's shareable or is that like a two-hour conversation?
1: Yeah. No, I, I can share it real fast. I was at a conference. I was actually teaching – and I was feeling like a hypocrite because I was teaching on leadership and feeling like I wasn't a good leader. And I went and sat down. Marcus Buckingham followed me. He was speaking. And I felt like God spoke to me. And when I say that, there's probably four or five times you know, in the 20 years where I felt like it was that direct, hmm. where I just had my head down. I felt like a loser. And I felt like God said to me, these words, I wrote them down, quit whining, you're sharp, fix it. And I wrote it down like, quit whining. It's almost like God was talking to me, like like a loving coach or father would, almost in my language. Quit whining. You're sharp, which I kind of heard. Like I've given you what you need to do it. Yeah. You're the leader I put in charge. You have the ability. If 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 you didn't have the ability, I'd put someone else with the ability. Yeah. Fix it. And and it was just the hope of I can fix this. And so I went back to my leaders and kind of just said, you know, I we've got tension. I'm going to ask you to trust me, and if you don't trust me, we don't have anything. If you trust me, my intentions are where we're going, then I believe we can lead this. And they, they kind of apologized to me, I apologized to them. And then I stood before the staff and said, here's where I failed you, and here's where I've been off, and here's what I want to do. And there was almost this like collective sigh of relief, like, okay, our leader is confident, he's heard from God, he's back. And immediately things started changing, where for two years, nothing would change. And so it was
0: really
1: it was a real breakthrough and it was a sense of confidence in God having called me to do this. And So I would say to anyone out there right now who feels like we can't grow, I can't make a difference, I can't get through this or whatever, if you can just maybe pretend like this is God speaking to you, quit whining. Hmm. You're sharp. Fix it. You've got what it takes. God has given you what you need. God's given you the gifts. You're there because He wants you there. Get in there and do what spiritual leaders do and lead. Believe it's possible, believe he can use you to make a difference, believe it's, believe it's possible. And let, let God do his perfect will through you. And um, and hopefully you'll see a breakthrough like I
0: did. That's an incredible word. And I think it's uh, probably in, in uh, a great way, helpful to leaders to know that, oh my goodness, you can have 90,000 people at your church, 24 locations, been at this 20 years one of the most effective churches in the world today and still get discouraged and still run into struggles. So Craig, this has been incredible. I just I just want to thank you so much. And in the last 60 seconds, anything else you want to share with leaders? Anything else on your heart that might encourage a young leader? I mean, I think you've done an incredible job of that just now, but anything yeah, else on you. your the, heart?
1: You know, what someone said to me really helped years ago. They said, you'll probably overestimate what God wants to do through you in the short run. But you'll grossly underestimate what God will do through a lifetime of faithfulness, and that that really helped me because I'm all to this day. Yes, you can you can have seventy or ninety thousand people and be discouraged. Like I, you know, it doesn't. You can have two hundred thousand people and be discouraged. I promise you, and it doesn't. You may not believe me now, but when you have double what you have today, you'll wake up and feel discouraged. Yes, you can be discouraged, and so because as leaders we always want more. We want to see we want to see more people reached, and so there's never enough. You never arrive ever. And so you may feel discouraged that, you know, that in the short run, a lot is not happening. But you'll also underestimate what God can do through a lifetime of faithfulness. And so that's my goal is to see ministry not as a, as a sprint, but a marathon and serve him faithfully. And 20 years into it, the church, yes, he has exceeded my long-term expectations. And so I hope I get another 20 years to um, faithfulness to see what he can do.
0: Craig, on behalf of everybody, just thank you so so much for your time today. Thanks for your insights. Thanks for your vulnerability, and your transparency. We'll link to everything in the show notes. But where's the uh, where's your favorite place online these days? Is like is Twitter, Instagram? Uh,
1: yeah, Twitter, Instagram. I'm trying Periscope, which may be older by the time this comes out. <laughs> oh, cool! No, to learn no, no, about. it's
0: just a month or two, so mm, it'll be yeah. on in September. So
1: yeah, you're yeah, on yeah,
0: Periscope. Yeah. You haven't showed up on my feed yet. That that's that's cool. I'll be tracking yeah. you.
1: Okay, cool.
0: All right. Craig, thank you so much. Uh,
1: Hey, thanks for sharing your leadership thoughts too. Again, I've I've been impacted by him and look forward to learning from you more.
0: Well, isn't that great? I mean, Craig really challenges me as a leader. I love his passion and and I love, you know, I'm convicted by his focus on physical fitness. I know that's always been a challenge for me and I'm probably in the best shape of my life at this point, but like I could always do a little bit better. So I think I'm going to go for an epic bike ride right after I finish recording this. Okay, I don't know what you're going to do, but that's, That's what I'm going to do. So, if you want more, you can just go to my blog, to the show notes, and you can find that at slash episode 52. And don't forget Craig's new book, Struggles Following Jesus in a Selfie Centered World. Uh, That will be linked to in the show notes. We'll also link to my new book, Lasting Impact Seven Powerful Conversations That Can Help Your Church Grow. And remember, if you pre order, you get some bonuses, and you could go direct on that too to lastingimpactbook.com. And finally, for those of you who stuck around till the end do you know where you can get a copy of my book before anyone else does it's the only place you can get it in fact it's the place where i will get the physical copy of my book before anyone else does you can get it pre-release on the orange tour that's right we are going to be in a number of different cities this month if you go to orangetour.org you'll see all the cities i am going to be in atlanta And I'm going to be in Irvine, California. So if you look at those tour dates, I'm going to be there. I'm happy to sign your book. And otherwise, my book is going to be at all the orange tour stops, all 15 of them this fall. And you can actually get a copy of the book before it's released to the world. See, because you hung around till the end now you know. And uh, hey, we've got a lot more celebration coming up. Don't forget to subscribe for the bonus odes coming up. We got a bunch of those. And uh, in the meantime, I will see you very, very soon. And I really hope that this episode has helped you lead like never before. Thanks for being so awesome. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.